0: Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And the message entitled, Faith Alone Perceives God. Keep that in mind through the sermon. Okay, if you're going to see God, if you're going to believe God, it must be through faith. And faith always points you back to God's word. Always. The prophet Habakkuk has expressed two problems he has with God during the last days of Judah. Habakkuk first complained in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, to God for not answering his prayers, while God was um, allowing him to see all this evil, atrocities, and injustices carried out by the people and the wicked leaders and rulers of Judah. Notice the confusion of the prophet was expressed in prayer in chapter 1. Then Habakkuk also complained, not being able to reconcile, that God was revealing to him that he's going to use the Babylonians, the wicked people, to judge Judah. And yet he was holy and eternal, and he's unable to tolerate sin and approve of it, and yet this prophet can't reconcile him. Now the perception of the prophet is going to be given to him clearly by prayer here in chapter 2. So let's look at the prophet Habakkuk, his commitment to prayer, to hear from God, which is characterized by three things here in verse 1 through 4. He says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk's commitment to pray, to hear from God, is characterized by the following. First, you have the resolution of the prophet. Verse 1. Second, you have the revelation to the prophet in verse 2 and 3. And thirdly, you have the correction for the prophet in verse 4. He begins with the resolution of the prophet here in verse 1. Notice the prophet Habakkuk determined that in view of his confusion over the dealings of God with Judah and Babylon, he would go to God. How novel is that? Simple. He wants to be one with you in a relationship. We always want to go to other people. Forget people. Go to God. Habakkuk made a decision to seek and to wait on God. That's hard. We live in a generation that wants everything right now, right now. You just click the computer. <laughs> it's there. Fast. Oh, there's internet. It's not fast enough. Give me a big one. Fast. The personal pronoun I indicates the conclusion resolving and the resolve of Habakkuk here. Notice, no one could make this decision for him. He alone had to find the way to resolve this difficulty they had with God. You have to go to him directly. The phrase, I will stand my watch, is a figurative way to indicate that he would go to God in prayer. He would not go to another person or prophet. He would um, stand silent waiting to hear From God to hear him speak. That is so important. Many of you have gone through things like that in life. Those of you who walk many years with him. When you have to sit and just wait for God to speak to you personally. The words of men are not going to do anything. You have to wait upon him. Now notice the phrase also indicates. Habakkuk was. uh, Faithfully committed. To his office. Of a prophet. The word watch. Means to keep guard or keep his charge in this context. The duty of every prophet was to hear from God, to be the mouthpiece of God as a representative of God, not speaking of their own impulse or origin as Second Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21 says. They spoke as the Spirit of God came upon them and carried them. This was not their words. Notice Habakkuk gave the common imagery of a watchtower in hope that he would perceive what God would say. Listen to his words, look out and set myself on the rampart. The word rampart refers to a lookout point, be it a, a platform with a booth to a, or a tower to be able to see friend or foe that's approaching. It's a very understandable imagery of that day. Listen to 2 Kings nine seventeen. Now a watchman stood on the tower of Jezebel, and he saw the company of Jehu as he came, and he said, quote, I see a company of men. And Joram said, get a horseman and send him to meet them, and let them say, uh, is it peace? So they observed the enemy coming. They don't know if his friend or foe. They went out and they asked him. This is the tower. Job 27, 18 says, he builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a watchman watch makes. In other words, it's a position of vigilance. The metaphor of a watchman is used in the scripture for the prophet to warn the people of impending danger and judgment. The prophet Isaiah 21, 11 says, the burden against Duma, he calls to me out of seer, watchman. What of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? What's the word from God? What do you see? Isaiah 62, 6. I have set a watchman on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord Yahweh do not keep silent. Ooh, God's angels on the walls of Jerusalem constantly. Though men are quiet, the angels of God aren't. God uses men and angels to warn. We see that through Scripture. Ezekiel 3.17 says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. The watchman. He's there to warn. Regardless of the culture, regardless of what people say. Oh, you guys, you believe the Bible. Yeah, we believe it. You believe all these things are going to happen. God's in control. Do you think God was in control this week with England? Do You think he was working among the nations? You better believe it. Do people believe it? Nope. We're self-sufficient. We'll get out of this. We can handle this. Right. Listen. But if the watchman sees the, the, the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hands. Ezekiel 33, 6. In other words, if Ezekiel did not warn the people, and they were judged, and an atrocity came, or any watchman, And they were killed. God would require the blood at the watchman. Paul picks this up when he speaks to the Ephesians in Acts 20. He says, some of you are going to raise up disciples to yourself. You're going to teach heresies. And then he says, I'm guilty of the blood of any man. Who is he referring to? Right here. Paul warned night and day. Today, pastors are not warning. They're not instructing people in God's word. The question is whether Habakkuk is indicating a literal rampart tower that he went to or not. Truth of the matter is, we don't know. He could be using it figuratively as a place of where he's praying. And it could also be a literal tower where he went. We don't know. But we understand what the language is communicating, right? Wait to hear God's voice and then proclaim what God tells you and shows you, right? So simple which is both instruction and warning. Now notice the prophet Habakkuk determined he wanted to hear directly from God. Habakkuk first had the determined purpose to hear what God would tell him personally. Listen to his words and watch to see what he will say to me. That's the important thing for my life. It's great that God speaks to you and that's good for you. But I have to hear God's voice for me. Lord, what have you called me to be and to do? Very, very important. The word watch is different from the previous one. The word means to look closely. The idea being to not miss anything. There's a difference with a casual look and looking, gazing and to examine, to focus. The goal of the prophet was to see what he will say to me. The word see there means to regard and consider. To perceive the intent and purposes of God. The same word is translated look among the nations and watch in chapter 1 verse 5. When he thought God wasn't doing anything. Look and watch. Habakkuk needed the words from God to resolve, listen, his confusion. The reason many times we're confused is because we go to man, we don't go to God. We don't like what the Word says, so we go to find a person who can tell us something that kind of sidestep God's Word. No, we've got to go to God. Notice Habakkuk 2nd had the determined purpose to respond to God when he would um, speak to him. Because God's going to speak to him. He's going to point out his error when God points it out. He says, and what I will answer when I am corrected. So it's a relationship as God speaks to me. I have two ears. I listen twice as much as I speak. And then when God does, I worship him. I thank him. I respond back for his goodness. The prophet knew he was most likely wrong in his misunderstanding of God. That's a good beginning. (laughs) First, about God not answering him in chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. And second, and more clearly here, about God being eternal and holy, and yet he was going to use Babylon to judge Judah. In chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. He just can't reconcile them. He can't put him together. The word correct, that means to rebuke, reproof, or chide. Whenever we conclude that God is wrong, we are absolutely wrong. <laughs> Always. Whatever God reveals in His Word, we are to believe and obey Him. There are so many things that you as a Christian and I Understand by reading the word of God, the revelation of God, by his spirit, by his grace, having the mind of Christ. The things—the few things that I don't understand or the few things in my life that will at times bring turmoil are so few and so minute that if i if there's so much that I do understand clearly and I trust him in faith to be reliable and worthy and loving, what would lead me to believe that the little things that I don't understand aren't in the same character of God's love? I fall back on his reputation, on who he is, right? He loves me. He's for me. And he's ever with me. Wow. Listen to Psalm forty-six, ten: Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. With all the things go on, all the havoc, all the things... Many of the things that we get all freaked out today have been going on forever. It's just that we have internet. Zappo. You hear about it. Everything at the same time. Though it is getting more intense because we're getting closer. The media. The politicians. They want to instill fear and control over us. Welcome to the human race. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. There will be things in your life and mine that will not allow us to have that peace because we don't understand and we have to seek God on our own, just like Habakkuk here. You see, we're just like Habakkuk. Uh, J. um, Magia says that uh, Habakkuk has a a question mark for a brain. (laughs) So do we. Um they didn't have the same standard often, the non-believer. And yet, they're, he's trying to reconcile it. And so we have to go to God for these things that are difficult. Uh, some of you may say, well, you know, I'm 30 years old and I'm not married yet and I've been faithful to the Lord and there's others that haven't been as faithful. And, you know, they have a partner and they're married and this and that. And what about me? Well, if they're non-believers... They don't have the same standards you do. That's number one. They're not trying to please God. you are. They're choosing the one they think will be best for them. God is going to give you what is best for you. There's the difference. Listen to Psalm 27:14. "Wait on the Lord. be of good courage. And He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Oh, this is, this is the hardest thing in life. Wait. Patiently. Everybody's got their iPod on this, that, noise, noise, noise. Just sit. We can't sit still. We can't be quiet. Noise pollution. Why did God allow me to marry the person I did? and be so miserable God didn't allow it you chose that person God didn't force you but we want to blame God right Hmm. the good news is that God is able to change your heart as well as theirs new creation you see the negative stuff is real but God can transform that right And once you're born again, you look to the past and go, Lord, thank you Jesus, you're so good. Wow. What a change. Listen to Jeremiah 22, 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison. Remember, he got thrown in jail for being a traitor. He was going to go uh, redeem the property of Anathoth. And he said he was betraying, falling to the Babylonians. He was discouraged and the people put him in jail. And God had told him, I'm going to, I'm going to bring the, the captivity back after 70 years. And he's in prison. And now he's doubting. Listen. He's in prison saying, Thus says the Lord God who made it, the Lord who formed it and established it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Jeremiah 22, 1-3. I did a sermon on that. Here Jeremiah say, Well, I don't know. Call upon me. Circumstances, situations, emotions. Don't put your trust in those things. What does the Word of God say? What has He told you? Why is it that some people seem to get away with so much evil? Does that bother you? If it bothers you, it's good, but if you're envious, it's bad. They don't get away with anything, ladies and gentlemen. No one does. God will bring them into judgment. Listen to Jeremiah 12.1. Jeremiah had the same question. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet you let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? As if they driving me bananas. Why do you allow this? Calm down, killer. I'm in control. I'm in control. I'm not biting my nails. I'm on the throne, Jerry. Just sit in prison. I'll take care of you. Wow. Psalm seventy-three, sixteen through eighteen. Again, the psalmist is envious of the wicked. You know, their kids are healthy. Their cows never have miscarriages. They just have it all. So he says, when I when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, prayer. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Psalm 73, 16 through 18. He goes on to say, Lord, forgive me. I was like a beast before you. Who do I have in heaven besides you? Who do I desire on earth besides you? All oh, Lord, just, oh, you're so good. <laughs> hmm. Been there? I hope so. Psalms 37, 9 says, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You think that says maybe? <laughs> Whatever our dilemma or difficulty that we may have with God in this life, we're to go to Him. Listen to Psalm 62, 5, My soul. Wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. I am weary in my crying, my throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God, long waiting, Psalm 69. I wait for the Lord and my soul waits, and in His word I do hope, Psalm 130, verse 5. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 40, verse 31. Notice it says that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings like eagles. The strength begins from heaven to the earth, not the earth to heaven. Are we clear on that? Waiting on God. The resolution of the prophet was wisdom to wait on God. Nobody wants to wait on God. They got their computer, their organization. They can tweet. They can get people together thousands at the same time. They think they're God. God has been excluded from the Christian community to a great extent. We think we're so smart. I don't think so. Notice, secondly, the revelation to the prophet comes next, verse 2 and 3. The prophet Habakkuk was instructed to record what God revealed to him. God understands the heart of the prophet. He knows what's going on. The testimony of Habakkuk was that indeed God spoke to him. He says, then the Lord Yahweh answered me and said, he's excited. He's committed himself to God. God is speaking to him. Once again, the covenant name of God is used, Yahweh. Habakkuk is one of the people of God. Yahweh is the one who he cried out to in chapter 1, verse 2. The one who is holy in chapter 2, verse 12. The one who had his remnant yet in the future of Israel. Chapter one, verse twelve. Also, same God. This is the second time God responded to Habakkuk. Again, remember the first time to reveal that He was, uh, He was active regarding the sin of Judah. But Habakkuk was totally oblivious. He didn't believe it. Chapter one, verse five. It might surprise you, but God's busy in the world today, and you have no idea about it. Could God speak to? The Russians to the Cubans to wherever? Sure he could. You think he's doing something in the world? Absolutely. But people don't believe that. They believe man's in control. And yet he doesn't violate anybody's will. He doesn't force somebody to do good or evil. He just knows the evil and the good that will be done. He works it all out. How can that be? Hey, don't worry about it. You're not God. You don't have all knowledge. You're not all present. You're not all powerful. So grab some wood. Sit down. God's in control. God was going to use Babylon, the instrument of judgment. Difficult for the prophet. But God's answering him now. Now notice the words of Yahweh were clear and distinct. Did God ever speak to you and you say, what was that, Lord? I... I, I didn't hear. Ah. When God speaks to you, in fact you go you know you you, you kind of wish you hadn't heard. <laughs> we hear him clearly. Write the vision and make it plain on tablets. The prophet is instructed to write this is an imperative command, not a suggestion. To inscribe, to engrave, to record what follows his answer of Babylon, chapter 2, verse 5 through 20. But of course, he's called to record the whole thing, chapter 1 through 3, right? This was the method of some of the prophets, because not all the prophets were writing prophets. We have some prophets that didn't write. They just spoke audibly, but they didn't record. The ones we have in our Bible are those that spoke and recorded. Notice the prophet identified the manner of communication from God, a vision, once again. Divine revelation to man, God to man. This is the noun form of the verb form that is in the introduction of chapter 1, verse 1. A vision is while a person is awake, as he sees and hears God. The dream is when a person is asleep. We have both ways in the scripture. Now, the prophet was told to Inscribe the vision that it be recorded, listen to me, permanently. Plain on tablets. Now, the word plain means distinct or clear. In other words, legible to be able to be read and understood. And this word appears only two other times. Deuteronomy one five and Deuteronomy twenty seven verse eight. In both of those passages is when Moses calls to record the law. Three times. The word tablets means on slabs of wood to record this vision. Now we have evidence of manuscripts on stones, on clay, on leather, on papyrus, on vellum, on wood. We have all kinds of different parchments. This one is wood. Now, notice the reason for the God-given command was for the sake of others, that he may run who reads it. Now, some have interpreted this to mean that someone reading would be able to read it while running. I don't think that's what it's saying. Okay? That makes no sense. Others say it means to order or in order that the person who reads the prophecy can understand and declare it to others. Now we know that's one of the reasons the scripture is recorded. So that's good. And still others say it means that the one who reads of God's coming judgment through Babylon could escape by the warning. And that's absolutely true. So the last two are the most correct. You record it so others can read, can learn, and be warned. And trust and wait upon God, right? This is the whole purpose of the Word of God. To first affect you, then others. The problem is that we forget that we must first be, we must be a a sea of Galilee that water flows through, not a dead sea that it stops in me. It's got to affect me first, then I take it to others. But let us first see what it does for you before you give it to us. That's very, very important. Notice the prophet Habakkuk was told that what he recorded was, listen to the word, reliable, being prophetic, reliable. God told Habakkuk the revelation was in view of the future. Only God can tell the future. Listen to his words. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Now, any of you want to tell me what's going to happen tomorrow morning at 8.15? In your life or my life? I'm open. You can't. God can. The time appointed was the judgment of Judah by the hand of Babylon. Babylon. God alone knows the future. God alone possesses the attribute of omniscience, knowing everything, which is responsible for His foreknowledge, knowing beforehand. But it comes out of His omniscience. We don't have either. So we we come to a dead end sometimes in the things that God says He's going to do. How can this be? Don't worry about it. Just believe it. The vision about the judgment of Judah by Babylon was a confirmation of the message of other prophets. Read Isaiah. Isaiah warned over and over again Judah about Babylon coming. Jeremiah at this time, contemporary with Habakkuk, is warning about the judgment. Jeremiah is in jail. We just read it. He's called a traitor. He's a traitor to Judah. You're falling to the hands of the Babylonians. You're a Benedict Arnold. We have Benedict Arnold's up in Washington today. And I'm talking about the British either. God told Habakkuk the revelation was trustworthy and would come to pass. Listen to his words. But at the end, at the end, it will speak. It will not lie. Why? He's a holy God. He knows all things. No problem with God. The prophecy would be verified by the horrible suffering of the people, by the devastation of the city and the temple, by the terrible events that are recorded with great detail in Second Kings twenty four and twenty five, Jeremiah fifty two. The famine, the raping, the pillaging, the women eating their own children. Hmm. You see, the prophecy would not fail. This date can be confirmed through secular history as well as biblical history. Three sieges took place in the hand by the hand of Babylon. Often, they are kind of straddling dates: six hundred five, six hundred six, and and five eighty six and uh, five ninety six. Oh, an 05 and 586. I just round them off. 606, 596 and 586. Big deal. Twelve twenty years apart. I just round yeah. them off. But they're recorded in Scripture. Now, God told Habakkuk the revelation was not for the immediate present. Here's the problem we have. We're just constantly impatient and, and, and God says, kick back. Because sometimes God tells us things that are going to happen that are not going to happen in our lifetime. It'd be if he uh, chooses to come a little longer afterwards, okay? But it'll happen. He says, though it tarries, wait for it. Now, here specifically, he tells a prophet, it's not right now, immediately, but you will see it. So this specific prophecy, this prophet would see come to pass. So I know you're anxious. I know you don't understand what I'm doing. But it's okay. Be patient. Just watch the nations. Watch what's going on. You're going to see it. Because it will surely come to pass. It will not tarry. Look at all the ways God's saying. Trust me. This is real. This is coming. This is not a lie. It's not an exaggeration. There isn't a chance in heaven that it's going to fail. Wow. Patience was necessary. Remember Zedekiah king of Judah had shut Jeremiah up and he said them, why do you prophesy and say thus saith the Lord behold I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall take it. Jeremiah 32.3 Why do you say that? I mean they're down on Jeremiah. Jeremiah had warned him against the rebellion in 589 BC. Jeremiah 38.17-23 but he didn't pay attention. Zedekiah. He went with the people. He was afraid what the Babylonians would do. He didn't trust God. Listen, you try to protect yourself, you're a dead man. You trust God, you'll be okay. Don't seek your own protection. Confident trust was to embrace it. The rebellion of Zedekiah caused Nebuchadnezzar and all of his army to besiege Jerusalem in the ninth year of his reign. The 10th month, the 10th day of the month, January of 588 B.C. The city was siege for 18 months till the 11th year of Zedekiah, 589 B.C. Jeremiah 52, 4 and 5 tells us exact dating. Exact dating. In fact, Ezekiel was told by Yahweh to record that date, confirming the date in Ezekiel 24, 1 and 2. The date was memorialized by the Jews, and a fast was initiated in Zechariah 8, 19. So important a date that it is recorded four times in Scripture. 2 Kings 25, 2, 2 Chronicles thirty-six eleven through 21, Jeremiah 39, 1 through 14. When God says something one time and record it, pay attention to it. When he asks it four times, he's telling you something. I told you it was going to happen. None of you believe me. Do you think God is intimidated by us? Do you think he, he, he gets depressed? God help us. Perish the thought. God forbid. <laughs> Professor M. Monterio Williams declared the following about the Bible and all other secular and religious books. Listen carefully. Quote, Pile them up, if you will, on the left of your study, but place your own Holy Bible on the right side all by itself, all alone, and with a wide gap between them, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called books of the East, which... Severs the one from the other, utterly, hopelessly, and forever. End the quote. People say, "Do you believe that Bible?" Absolutely. So you really believe that the tribulation and you know, two hundred and fifty pound ha- soon balls and all this stuff, you know, one world, you know, Antichrist, you know, temple and all that. Yep. Okay, I'll see you later. Jesus said it'll be a time such as never before ever will be. It would be better for people to die than to live in those days. Jesus can't lie. You think he's trying to scare you? No, he's trying to warn you. The Bible is the word of God. The scriptures declare it. And we are to accept it as such and believe every word as truth for our lives and preach it to others in the world. Over 3,800 times in the Old Testament, we read things like, Thus saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. The Lord said, Write. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. The Lord Jesus believed it was God's word and never doubted or implied any manuscript errors. PhDs at Fuller Cemetery will tell you there's errors. But Jesus never even implied it. Jesus spoke about Noah. Jesus spoke about creation, Adam, and Eve. He mentioned Cain and Abel. He referred to Sodom and Gomorrah. He quoted Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, and many of the other prophets. He referred to the scriptures as prophecy. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. profitable for doctrine, instruction, correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Literally expired from God. And Second Peter chapter one verse nineteen twenty one says that the men of old did not speak of their own impulse or origin, but they were carried along by the Spirit of God, so what they stated was God's pure, direct revelation, inerrant, infallible, reliable, trustworthy. You can bet your eternity on it. Wow. God told the men of the New Testament to record the writings clear and plain what God was going to do in the future. But do men believe it today? Nope. Jesus declared He was the Son of God to the Jews, the Messiah, fulfilling the process of the Old Testament. Did the Jews believe him? No. They crucified him. Jesus told the Jews that because they had rejected him, he was going to reject the nation and did so. And then he pronounced judgment that would come in 70 A.D. through Titus, the destruction of the city and the temple. They didn't believe it. Did it happen? Yep. Jesus told his disciples he would come back for his church before the seven-year tribulation. Stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many of my abiding places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may be also. And I will come back to receive you to myself. You must make a distinction between him receiving you to himself and coming back with him to set up the kingdom. Now, I say this because there are many people who are opposing adamantly the teaching of the rapture today, even within Calvary Chapel circles. You must make that distinction. They say, well, it's a new doctrine and a woman started. Shut up. Jesus is not a woman. Jesus is the first dimension in John 14, 1 through 3. I just said it to you. He's going to come back to receive us to himself before the great tribulation, the hour. Revelation 3:10, with the article. Paul confirms this. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24 also. But Paul confirms this as he um uh, tells us about the rapture specifically. Um first Corinthians fifteen fifty one, he said we shall not all I show you a mystery, we shall not all see, we shall be changed in a moment, the twinkle of the eye. He speaks about you shall be caught up, harpostles, suddenly, violently, to the clouds to be with the Lord and our loved ones forevermore. In First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen. What do you do with those verses? God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 9, 1 Thessalonians 5 9. What do you do with that? But people don't think. The same thing has happened in the political system of our day to day, that people believe all these lies, misinformation. The church is believing the same thing through the emergent church in the different ways. The emergent church is like, kind of like jelly. It keeps it evolving. Okay? It mutates. Kind of like the AIDS virus. It keeps of. Mutating. Doesn't stay the same. And yet John is very clear as he tells us very specific details. Beginning in chapter 6 of Revelation all the way to 18. The seals, the bowls, the trumpets. The atrocities, the horrific death count on the earth. The persecution, the control by the Antichrist. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. All of Revelation. Do you believe that? God wants to keep you from that. As he died for you. That you might believe it first for yourself. Then give it to others. And pray that they might repent and believe. The revelation to the prophet was truth. The word of God. Now he's getting places. (laughs) This is great comfort. Notice thirdly, now comes the correction for the prophet, verse four. The prophet Habakkuk was given the principles of condemnation indicating God was going to use Babylon, but to judge her after Judah. Listen to the words, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him. The affirmation of the evil of Babylon is revealed to Habakkuk again. God knows. God doesn't need news from them. Lord, they're so evil. Really? The expression, behold, the proud, refers to Babylon. No one else. I like the Old King James Version here. It says, behold, this his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. The word soul refers to the individual person, by extension, the corporate nation of Babylon. The soul of man is comprised of intellect, emotion, and will. This is the level by which you and I live in the world. And all who do not know Christ do. My intellect, my emotions, and my will. And the vehicle for that is my stinking body. All those three are enemies against God. When you're born again... Your intellect, your emotion, and your will are subject to the word of God, the will of God. And my my body is the temple of God to do the will of God. The declaration was, they were not right with God. His soul is not upright in him. Who? The word proud means lifted up or swelled. Indicating the exalted view of self, being self-confident, arrogant, and brash. Remember Nebuchadnezzar a year after the warning and Daniel warned him. We'll get into it tonight. Is not this is the Babylon that I have. Okay, that's it. One, two, three, you're done. Make him like a beast for seven seasons until he knew that God rules in the affairs of men. and he's sitting in heaven. Wow. The indication that his soul is not Upright, yatser, means the nation is not straight, true, or pleasing to God. Therefore, the principle of condemnation clearly indicated God was not compromising His holiness, but would judge the arrogant, proud person or nation that has a swollen head about their own greatness, even though God may use them for His present purposes. Wow. Habakkuk, lighten up. I'm still holy I'm not compromising you may think I am just go away wow he goes on in verse 5 through 8 to tell of the evil character of the nation then the specific five woes that follow to the end of the chapter all those can be traced to our own nation it's a parallel we'll get into it tonight Notice verse 5 here of chapter 2. It's a transitional verse. Sometimes it goes with verse 1 through 5, and that's a good division. Verse 5 is a transitional verse identifying the national evil character of Babylon. The proud soul of verse 4 belongs with verse 5. God direct, directed Habakkuk back to the one Yahweh was raising up, the Chaldeans, in Habakkuk 1, five. God indicated their assumed political superiority. He says their judgment and their dignity proceeded from themselves. He says in chapter one verse seven. This is this is their their arrogance, their pride. In chapter one verse ten, God declared they see themselves superior to all rulers. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn and and are scorned by them. Ah, these guys! They don't know nothing. They can't stand against us. And you know. Look at their fortresses. That's not a fortress. A cardboard house. You know who we are, right? The principle of condemnation stands in sharp contrast to the principle of consolation that will follow. The just shall live by faith. So he's saying, listen to back, I have not compromised. These, these guys, they're bad news. I'm going to get them. Whew, okay. All right. I was afraid you weren't going to do it. Oh, really? <laughs> The confusion of Habakkuk about God, who is holy, yet using a more evil nation to judge Judah, was not altered notice, but only verified to be true in view of God's sovereign, perfect justice. He reminds them that he's holy. Judgment will come. God was working among the nations, though the prophet was oblivious to it in chapter 1, verse 5. God is doing some things for you right now that you have no idea about. You're totally oblivious. And he's at work. You know what? He's preparing you today for tomorrow. This week, he's preparing you for the next week. This month, he's preparing you for the next year. He's at work. God was raising up the Chaldeans who were angry and impetuous nation to possess everything that was not their own. In chapter 1, verse 6, these guys are bad news fearful the babylonians were an intimidating and fearful war machine that was unstoppable god said in chapter 1 verse 7 through 9 so habakkuk was having a hard time the arrogant boastful chaldean babylonians would laugh at the fortresses as i said of their enemies chapter 1 verse 10 11 they gave glory to their gods not to god himself but the small gods you know their idols you see the correction that God gives to Habakkuk is simply to tell him what he had told him about using Babylon. But also that God would judge Babylon afterwards. That means he wasn't compromising his holiness at all. He's just sovereign. He knows how to take care of things, right? Never mistaking God's patience for permissiveness. Or that he approves of your lifestyle. Well, he hasn't gotten to me. Be patient. He's in no hurry. Notice the prophet Habakkuk was also given the principle of consolation indicating God would see to the righteous trusting in faith. Listen to the words. But the just shall live by faith. The obvious contrast between the proud and the righteous is uh, indicated by the word but. The proud is the soul that is lifted up Not upright in him. Not knowing God or depending on God. The Babylonians, the apostate, Israelites. The just living by faith is the one trusting in God alone through the covenant of Abraham for the redemptive salvation. The faithful in Judah prior to the captivity and during the captivity. This would bring comfort to Habakkuk for the terrible times that were going to come. See, you and I need to know the Word of God for the terrible things that will come in our future. I wish I could say your life's going to be beautiful and that's going to happen. That's not life. And if you're not preparing the Word of God for the difficulties of life, then you're going to blame God for all the difficulties. It's important that you understand God as nature in the Word. This is the key verse to the book, that just shall live by faith. The proclamation that the just shall live by faith is also prophetic of salvation through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. This verse is quoted in three of the New Testament books that focus on the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, called satoriology, the study of salvation. The first is the book of Romans. Listen to Romans 1 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and then also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk too far. Wow. The emphasis in Romans is on the just. The just shall live by faith. Sinners are justified before God in faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ alone on the cross. Paul is teaching the gospel of grace to the saints in Romans. He's not preaching, he's teaching it to him. The second book is Galatians 3.11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. There you have it again. The emphasis in Galatians is shall live. Romans is the just. Galatians shall live. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, I live through the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me shall live. Paul was rebuking the Galatians for allowing themselves to be deceived by Judaizers to live by the law instead of grace. The third book is the book of Hebrews. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hebrews eleven thirty eight. Now the emphasis of Hebrews is the just shall live by faith. Three times quoted, three doctrinal books. That person believing what the Father had revealed about the Son, Jesus Christ, being the only one to forgive sins, to bring us to the Father, and to assure us of eternal salvation by faith, by what God has revealed. The author warns with progressive severity of judgment for those who are going back to animal sacrifice for their atonement instead of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He's talking to Christians who had come to Christ, Jews who were not going back to animal sacrifices. Make it very clear. Don't let anybody tell you the book of Hebrews is to non-believers. If they tell you that, rebuke them. Instruct them. This very verse was the battle cry of Martin Luther for the Reformation. In November 1515, Martin Luther, Augustine Monk and professor of sacred theology in the University of Wittenberg, expounded the book of Romans till next September. As he read the expression, the righteousness of God, it baffled him. Till one day he realized after meditating and pondering of the truth that the righteousness is that of God through grace and mercy, justifying us by faith. Faith always points you back to the revelation of God, right? Not a gut feeling, not an emotion. What has God said? Acting on his belief, he wrote the disputation of the power of uh, and efficacy of indulgences of the Catholic Church. Also known as the, his 95 Theses, a list of um, questions and propositions for debate. Popular legend. Um... Says that on October the 31st of 1517, Luther defiantly nailed a copy of his 95 Theses on the door of Wittenberg Castle's church. In 1518, Luther was summoned to Osberg, a city south of Germany, to defend his writings against Thomas Cajetan, lasting three days. Luther refused to recant. He returned to Wittenberg. He says, Here I stand. I can do no other. My mind is held captive to Scripture. Wow. November 9, 1518, the Pope condemned Luther's writings as conflicting with the teaching of the Catholic Church. In the end, on July 1520, Pope Leo X issued a papal papal bull declaring him a heretic and excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church, January the 3rd of 1521. Martin Luther, man, what a brave man, courageous man. God kept him alive. It's a miracle the Catholic Church didn't kill him. Not that he didn't try, but he was God's instrument. Now, listen to the Scripture. For thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. I will visit you and perform my good towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. That was one of our texts for a retreat we had years ago. He's talking about he's going to bring him back after 70 years. He not only said he was going to send him to captivity and judge Babylon, but bring him back in 70 years. Then he would judge Babylon through Medo-Persia, Cyrus, Darius. Wow. The New Testament is clear about the natural state of man being dead in trespasses and trespassed in sin. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. There's not one good, no, not one. Romans three ten. If you think you're good, finish the sentence. Good for nothing. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. You must agree with God. The New Testament is clear on what happens to sinners who do not repent of their sins. They die in their sins. They die a second death. It's eternal death. They're separated from God for all eternity. They are judged for all their sins at the white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 13. And then they're cast in the lake of fire after the white throne judgment. Along with Hades and death, Antichrist, everybody else is there in Revelation 2014. Is God trying to scare you? No, He's trying to warn you. He's trying to warn you. The New Testament is clear, I'm the only person able to save you from your sins through repentance. John the Baptist says, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in John 129, Jesus Christ. The Father sent the invitation now, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes should not perish but have everlasting life. That includes you. The only way, Jesus said, on the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father by me. John fourteen six. You think it's arrogant? Proudful? No, it's the truth. There's only one name. Acts four twelve says, Luke says, There's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby we must be saved, Jesus Christ. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one meteor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Wow. He said, well, you know, that's too narrow. Tough. You want the wide way? The wide way is hell. The narrow way is heaven. Where do you want to go? If that's not good enough for you, listen to the words of Jesus as he speaks to his disciples in John fifteen six. If anyone does not abide in me, the doctrine of abiding is not being taught today. Abide in me. He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. John fifteen six. He's not saying about branches, he says, the one who doesn't abide in me. First he gives the branches, then he makes the application. He's talking to his disciples. To believers. Context, context, context. The correction for the prophet was faith. On the perfect justice of God. Got cleared up. We're going to see him delighting. Jumping for joy next chapter. So the prophet Abacca. Committed himself to prayer. To hear God. And it's been characterized. By these three things. The resolution of the prophet. Was wisdom. To wait on God. The revelation to the prophet. Was truth. The word of God. The correction for the prophet was faith on the perfect justice of God. God did correct the prophet. Majority of commentators says he did not. He did correct him. The evidence is in chapter 3. He's all right now. He's got hope. He's got faith. He's got joy. He's trusting God. How about you? Do you want to stay in chapter 1 with Habakkuk? Or do you want to move on to chapter 2 in your life? So you can move on to chapter 3. It's all a personal choice, isn't it? Lord, thank you for your grace and love your goodness. Deal with our hearts. We thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray for everyone here right now, Lord. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus died for you. If you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can call upon him. And be saved. Repentance is the way to get to Jesus. A prayer of repentance is what he requires. You ask him, Lord, forgive me and save me in Jesus' name. And he will. So if you're here, if you don't know him. And you want to accept Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're over the internet. Then you can say this prayer right now. And he's going to forgive you and save you. And make you his child. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.